The message from God's Word comes from the book of Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy is the book that's written just before the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. Among other things, what Moses is doing is reiterating the law of God for his people. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in Matthew 22, he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He summarized the first table of the law, the first four commandments. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments in loving God and loving your neighbor. The first table, the first four commandments, the second table of the law, commandments 5 through 10. I think it's important to notice, first of all, that Jesus in that particular passage affirms the Ten Commandments. He affirms the law of God. What he says by way of summary implies actually a complete sacrifice of self, desire, to serve God and to serve others. It would be impossible to break any of God's commandments if this was really your purpose. So that's why those who think this is somehow a relaxation of the Ten Commandments are greatly mistaken. Jesus isn't softening God's standards. These, these, these two commands, if you will, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, are just as, if not more, invasive and comprehensive to the flesh of man. We look to the Scriptures to understand how, exactly how to love God and love our neighbor. Of course, the Ten Commandments are the most succinct summary of this. And Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount in great detail. And He says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Meaning, till the end of time. So for the Christian, God's law is still abiding as our rule of obedience to the Father. It does many things for us that are wonderfully beneficial. The Ten Commandments show our sin to us, which drive us to the Gospel. It shows our great salvation. They describe our Savior's perfections because He kept all of the law and God's holy standard. And most importantly, Calvin said, it, it reveals, the commandments reveal the Father's heart to us. Shows us what pleases our Father. So God help us that we might serve and love Him well. Remember before we read this commandment and begin walking through it, uh, the, the rules of interpretation <clears throat> that I've tried to teach you thus far. Five things. First, that the law is spiritual. In other words, it applies to every part of man. It, it reaches down into your soul. It's more than just doing an, a wooden outward kind of obedience. That's that's the most basic part of the commandment, of course. But it's spiritual in nature. Secondly, that every commandment is two-sided. One, one, it, what it forbids in the one hand, it commands on the other. For instance, do not murder also commands that we preserve the life of our neighbor in so many ways. Thirdly, the Ten Commandments express God's created order. These things were written on the heart of man. All of the Ten Commandments. And the specific commandments, fourthly, reveal broad principles for knowing and loving God. We learn this from the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. 
There's a moral principle behind each command. And we take that moral principle and we look at God's Word and find everything that God has to tell us about that principle. And fifthly, the context for the commandments is love. Right after Deuteronomy 5 comes Deuteronomy 6, where he basically says, obey all my commands. Why? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's love that drives us. Yes, He's our Creator. He's our Lord. We must obey. But His children actually obey because they love Him. We're to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we do that? We obey His commands. So the fifth commandment, honoring authority. We're going to talk about the text. Then we're going to go through the various ways that God has given us authority between parents and children. Secondly, between government and civil authorities. Thirdly, between spirit from spiritual authority. And actually, next week we'll talk about this just for a whole sermon, we're going to talk about the authority that God has given in marriage. And we're going to talk about marriage authority as well. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 coming um, to verse 16. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Lord, as we approach this text, let us remember that these words were written with your own finger on the stone that you gave to Moses, that you spoke these words from the cloud on the mountain with fire and thundering and lightning all around it, that these words reflect not only our our pattern of behavior, but also reflect your heart and what you desire for your people. Lord, we pray that we would understand more so that you might work holiness within us, that we might love and serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the very first command of the second table of the law. The first table dealing with our love for God. The second table dealing with our love for man. This second table of the law, Jesus summarized, is loving each other. Loving each other. But note that they are linked. A love for God will always result in a love for one another. You cannot separate them in the way that some people do. If you love God, you will always love your neighbor. You can't truly love your neighbor without a love for God. 1 John 5.2 says as much. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So loving the children of God goes with loving God and obeying His commandments. The Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, The commandments can be likened to Jacob's ladder. The first table respects God, and the top of the ladder reaches heaven. The second table respects superiors and inferiors, and is the foot of the ladder that rests on earth. By the first table we walk toward God, by the second we walk toward man. He cannot be good in the first table that is bad in the second. 
And as I've said before, remember that the measure of your love to others is the attitude that you have toward the most difficult people in your life. You can't cherry pick what defines your love. Your love is defined by who you, who you love specifically the least. Because you should be loving all with the love of Christ. Because God's people are affected by God's holiness in the first table, they will love their neighbors as themselves in the second table. Certainly we're going to fail in all of this. But God generally drives His people to greater obedience, to greater love for God and for others. As I mentioned this morning too, I, I, I see it as wonderful that those who truly love God, for those who truly love God, loving others is almost like a, is a part of our new nature. For one who's filled with the, with the Spirit, you, you might be surprised that your, your life is filled with love for others. When the sheep and the goats were discussed by Christ, the sheep seemed surprised when God told them that He welcomed them because they fed the hungry and gave drink to the thirsty, welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, visited the sick and those in prison. They responded, When, Lord? When did we see you naked? When did we visit you in sick? When you were sick or in prison? It seemed like they were unaware of their good deeds. It was such a natural part of their lives. And so, so were they filled with love for God and their fellow man by the Spirit of God, transformed their hearts. Certainly that's why when you meet angry, bitter, prideful, apathetic, openly sinful people in the church, it's not congruous. You know that something is wrong. It's an oxymoron because the Holy Spirit is not present. So in the first place, we see um, that this honor and respect, this love for man, is seen in the family. It starts with number five, the family. The fifth commandment, loving others, starts at home. And the commandment is honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Let's look at the text. The word honor is a word in Hebrew that means heavy. It means heavy or, or hard. It's a word that implies gravity and weightiness. For this reason, it's also translated glorify. And it's the root word for glory. Isaiah saw the angels crying, holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of His glory. This, this weightiness. His glory, His heaviness, His honor, His weight. And the train of His robe filled the temple. So this is the honor this weightiness that God says we are to give to our parents and to all who are in authority. This is an honor that's first due to God because He's the ultimate authority. The principle is that all authority is derived by God. All of it. All authority is from God. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it were not given you from above. And since all authority comes from God, all men should honor the authority that God provides. There's a, a prayer kind of list that Susie Crouch sends me monthly for the persecuted church. And the prayer today was for a man who's in jail in China for preaching. And his wife goes to the prison. She's not allowed to visit him, but she goes there and just prays for him. And she was asked about this. And she said, we know that all authority is from God. So we know that this is His will. And we pray for His quick release. 
She knows that all authority truly is from God, and God has ordained this for some good purpose, although it's painful in her life. So she trusts Him. So the moral principle of the fifth commandment is not that children should honor their parents. The moral principle in the fifth commandment is that you should honor the authority that God has established. All of us have a duty to those who are in our lives, whether inferiors or superiors or equals, because these relationships have been established by God. There is no authority except from God, Paul said. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Paul is is basically teaching the fifth commandment to the church in Rome. And remember, the church in Rome was under a grievous amount of affliction. The church in Rome, and Rome at that time was ruled by Nero, one of the most wicked rulers in the history of the world. Paul doesn't say, well, this isn't a godly authority, so rebel against it. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says there is no authority except from God. We'll talk about civil disobedience in a moment. But there is no authority except from God. That's our baseline. That's our go-to under any authority. If Paul could say this to the Roman church under Nero, then certainly he can say it to us under whatever government he gives us. And remember, the key to the commandments isn't to pursue just the wooden interpretation of it. Well, I obeyed my parents pretty good when I was a kid. I guess fifth commandment, done. Nope, that's not it. That's what the Pharisees might do to look at this in a very mechanical way, but that's not what Christ would do. Every every commandment is spiritual, including this one. And the measure of every commandment is God's own holiness and His own purity. And in that sense, of course, we will all fall very short. It's like the the child, I've used this illustration before just because I love it. Uh, A child goes out and he sees the moon and he's got a new bow and arrow for Christmas. And he says, I'm going to shoot the moon. And he takes aim and it's perfect aim and he's looking right at the center of the moon and he lets the arrow fly. Never hit the target. Wasn't even close. It wasn't even one-tenth of one percent of hitting the target. And such is our aim when we think of the law of God and our own obedience. So acknowledging the impossibility of being perfect in our pursuit of God, yet we still have the command to obey God in love. Because the law is spiritual. And the requirements of the law go all the way to the heart. And our spirits are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So we'll look at the spiritual principle of this command as we do all the commands with knowledge that we need the Holy Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit's help to honor the authority that God has given us. And may God help us. So we're going to look at civil authority. First we'll look at family authority. Fathers, mothers, children. Then we'll look at spiritual, civil authority and spiritual authority. Next week we'll look to other relationships that God's given us, specifically marriage. So honor who? Well, first of all, it says honor your father and mother. That's pretty direct. It's directed right to families. The most basic of all relationships you will ever have on earth. The nuclear family. 
Is it any wonder that Satan has been seeking to destroy the nuclear family since the very beginning? God teaches us all about authority in the context of family. He also teaches us all we need to know about election in the context of family. What child chooses his own parents? Zip? None? When you get a child in your family, God has put that child there. And the authority that you have in the home was given by God. All authority comes from God. So what does the Bible say about children and their parents? Paul talks about it extensively in Ephesians and Colossians and elsewhere. Here's the standard. Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in Colossians 3, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So there's the action, we obey, and there's the attitude, we honor. Both are important for this commandment. And both have applicability into every other relationship in our lives where we are in authority or over others in authority. So the standard is to obey and honor. Why? Because that person is worthy of obedience? No, because God has placed them there. The obedience of children is right and it pleases the Lord. It seems pretty simple. It seems like this should be easy. And actually, it is simple. Parents should teach their children to love and honor and obey God. And children should obey and honor their parents. There was a, a Harvard study um, done in the 20th century, the mid-20th century, by two Harvard sociologists. They studied five- and six-year-olds to see if they could predict future delinquency future bad behavior in life after looking at them at age 5 and 6 and then watching them for the next 10 or 15 years. And they determined four things that could predict the child's future delinquency or good citizenship, if you will. First was a father's discipline. You can tell this wasn't in, in our day and age. This is the 20th century when fathers actually were expected to discipline their children. Children, five and six-year-olds who had firm, fair, and consistent discipline were much more likely to be well-developed children. John MacArthur quoted this, this study. I haven't actually read it, but I'm taking his word for it. Secondly, he said, a mother's supervision. These, these sociologists said, you need a father's discipline to be firm and fair and consistent, and you need a mother's supervision. When dad's not around, a mother just to supervise and watch and correct with the authority of dad. Thirdly, you needed a father and a mother's demonstrated affection. You need a mom and a dad, and you need the children to see that they love each other. And fourthly, you needed a family cohesiveness. You needed the family to do things together, to be together. Boy, this sounds all very old-fashioned, doesn't it? And yet, this is just supporting what we already know from Scripture. 
love, consistency, discipline, example, with a father at home. These are the keys to, these are the keys to normal life, to, to thriving in the world. At least from a worldly perspective, but we also see that a, a child's responsiveness to this command also carries with it a godly blessing. So it is the responsibility of parents to discipline and instruct their children, not to provoke them, but to encourage them, to provide, protect, and train, and discipline them. We go to it often in this church because it's foundational to life. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today, talking of the Ten Commandments, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. The duties of God's law are based on God's person. The Lord is one. And so we strive to obey Him in love. These duties of God's law should be diligently taught to children and families. You say, well, my kids are long gone. Well, you've got grandchildren, maybe. You've got children here in this church that are your spiritual children. No, these duties to teach children are far from over for any of us. We teach these standards. We live by these standards. And the children will be rewarded if they obey and they'll be punished if they don't. This is the way that God has intended His law to be communicated and taught in families. He says that we should honor our mother and father as the Lord your God commanded you. Again, in verse 16, he's saying this because Deuteronomy 5 is a repetition of Exodus chapter 20, the first time he gave the law. In Exodus 20, it simply says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So God had already commanded this, and He repeats the command, but also tells them that I've already commanded this. Now isn't this interesting? Couldn't He have said that in every single command? Couldn't He have said, uh, make no graven image as I've already commanded you? Do not covet as I've already commanded you? He could have, because He's already given the commandments. But He chose this specific commandment. He singled this one out. For special emphasis. Well, we're going to talk about why. I believe, and this is the first commandment of the second table. It's very, very important to everything else that we do in life. Those who do obey this commandment should know that they have pleased God and they will see blessing in their lives. Why should we obey? that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So those who love and honor their parents are promised a long life. Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise. The Scriptures certainly teach that following all of God's commands bring blessing to life. This is one of the themes of Psalm 119, as well as the prophets. When you obey God's law from the heart, He blesses you. It's the same as your children who come to you. 
And they're striving to please you. They're striving to do what you say. And your heart just overflows with love and blessing, even though that child may be messing it up. You love their effort. But the, the converse is true as well. To dishonor your parents is to dishonor God Himself. So you might ask, what about children or young adults who die at a very young age? Does that mean they've broken this commandment? They didn't honor their parents, so God killed them quick. Well, no, this is just a general principle of life. God is not charged with wrong and cannot be charged with any wrong for taking home some very godly children very early in their lives. To be with Him at a very young age is a great blessing. And children who go to be with their Heavenly Father, they do have the sweetest and longest life imaginable. So this is not a mechanical promise. It's a general principle. Really, if it were a mechanical promise, no one would ever receive the blessing, would they? Who truly honors their parents the way God intends? Who? Nobody. So this is impossible. That it would be a mechanical promise. One plus one produces two. Nobody would ever receive that promise. No, what God is showing us is that generally for those who love their parents, as unto the Lord, they will have a blessing in their lives. Those who do not are opposed to God's purpose and His design and can expect nothing from the Lord. The blessing for that is death. It's not blessing at all. Everyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother. His blood shall be upon him. It's Exodus 21. This is a very serious crime to curse your mother or your father. Why? Because they're special? No, because God has given you that mother and that father. And what is widely stated, or what is stated here, is widely observed by the entire world in every culture. Those who honor and obey their parents in life generally have the most fruitful and abundant lives. And the fruits of this obedience by God's general grace, His common grace, results often in a longer and more blessed life. But we also see a very special favor and blessing of God. A real blessing of God for His own children who strive to obey this commandment with a right attitude as unto the Lord. It results in God's real favor. We should not miss that either. So children should obey their parents. Parents should train their children as unto the Lord. And grandchildren and great-grandchildren and children in this church carry that responsibility as well. Let's transition to government and civil authority. Romans 13, we've already read, applies specifically to governing authorities. Let every person be subject to governing authorities because all authority comes from God. Government officials and civil authorities are all accountable to God whether they know it or not. Every government authority has been installed by Almighty God and will be accountable to Him for their wisdom, their justice, their piety, their protection, their ability to, to make peace for the people they govern. So when you have bad government, you should tremble for them. They will receive a horrible amount of wrath. They've been entrusted with governance and they've wasted it. 
especially those who govern to the harm of their citizens. We should pray for them. And this is our duty to honor our civil leaders. The first thing we're instructed to do is to pray for our civil authorities. All supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, should be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority. Again, they lived in a grievous time with horrible authority. And Paul says pray for them. Secondly, we should honor them. We should fear God and honor the king. Thirdly, we should obey them. Obey their just laws. We're subject to higher powers. We obey their just laws. Laws that are in accordance with God's Word. When we're commanded to do something that God forbids or forbidden from doing something that God commands, then we don't obey. We saw this during COVID, didn't we? The government said you cannot worship. But God says we have to worship. Many churches closed down, did not have worship services, not knowing what was coming. I think we all learned much from this particular thing, and I think things would be very different next time. We also are to pay our, our civil magistrates whatever they're due, whether taxes or revenue or respect or honor. And all this is done as unto the Lord. So just because you see corruption in government doesn't give you the right to disregard that government, and it doesn't give you the right to grumble and complain either. You should pray. Is there any authority that God Himself hasn't established? Is there any situation that God Himself hasn't ordained? I love Isaiah chapter 8. Jerusalem is threatened. God's judgment is coming to the northern kingdom. People think that God wasn't in this at all. That God had forgotten them. That there was some huge conspiracy. That was somehow getting around God. In Isaiah 8 verse 12, God says, Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. You see things going crazy in your land. Don't think it's some vast conspiracy that's out of God's hands. God's saying, look up. The holy God Himself has all things in His power. And the best way that you are to deal with bad government is prayer. Because the word conspiracy implies, implies some secret objective carried out by wicked people apart from God. God's saying there's no conspiracies ultimately. Everything that happens, happens because I ordain it. And think of all the conspiracies. I mean, there have been conspiracies in our land since the 1600s. Just more recently, Pearl Harbor. Did FDR know about it? Probably. What a conspiracy. Was God in it? Yes. COVID. That conspiracy. Was it a real conspiracy? I don't know. Was God in it? Yes. 2020 election. January 6th. The JFK assassination. On and on and on. Were these conspiracies? I don't know. Was God in it? Yes. So to grumble about situations and leaders and governments... To act like the Lord Almighty, the one that we should be regarding as holy, is not involved, is to break the fifth commandment. You're grumbling against God. You remember in 
in our study of uh, Deuteronomy already, we see that they grumbled against God. Actually, in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 18 times we are told that the Israelites grumbled against God. And they grumbled against the leaders that God had given them. And Moses tells them in Exodus 16.8, God has heard your grumbling. And who are we? You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. And they faced His discipline and His wrath. Paul warns the church in 1 Corinthians 10, do not grumble as some of them did, talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as an example and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Paul says we're under the same temptations to grumble about our lives, about our situations, about our leadership. And we need to actually recognize that the Lord Almighty is the one that we are to regard as holy. There's no conspiracy that's outside His grip. There's no fear involved because the only one we are to dread is God Himself. So we're to honor those whom God has placed in authority. We're to honor them as God-given authority and pray for them. Even wicked rulers, we're to pray for. That's our starting point anyway. For the sake of time, I'm going to move forward to spiritual leaders. There's civil leaders and there's also spiritual leaders, namely pastors, ministers, and elders. This is a principle of authority that I think is closer to home for all of us in all of our lives. If you're raised in a church, you've had pastors, you've had elders, you've had all kinds of ministers that were placed in authority over you. When I was young, I was never really thought to think this way. I didn't think of my pastor as someone that God had given me. I didn't think of any elders as as, as men that God had given me for my own health and instruction, that they were under shepherds working directly for the shepherd. No one ever taught me that. I looked at them with some disdain, some prideful disregard, always judging their actions and their words from my own set of values rather than by God's Word. And God forgive me for that. The reality is we've all been graciously given spiritual authority by God. He sent you His own representatives. If you don't like the pastor and the elders you have, I know you do um, appreciate me and Jerry and Jim, but you need to pray. You need to pray. God has given His church authority and pastors and elders, and He's also put the pastors and elders under authority to the plurality of elders and the presbytery. And God has given children in the home spiritual authority of mom and dad. So we are always under spiritual authority. There is no one who is not under spiritual authority. In short, we all have spiritual authority that must be honored and obeyed as unto the Lord. What are the duties of ministers to their people? What you should expect and pray for from your elders and your, your pastor. We're required to feed the flock with wholesome food to preach the Word, to be instant in season and out of season, to rebuke and reprove and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It's from 1 Timothy. We're to be full of tender affection for the flock. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, he says, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not only the Gospel, but our own souls because you were dear to us. And I've shared with some of you before that something happens to, to people who are ordained as ministers. There's, he imparts a love for the flock that is just not of this world. It's a blessing for the flock. It's a blessing to me. Thirdly, to pray for the flock. You should all hold me accountable to pray for you every day. I've told you I strive to do this, and often, often there will be many weeks when I pray for you every day. But sometimes I miss. And it's my duty to pray for you, and I love to pray for you. I have the directory memorized. I know almost every name, every picture. I know every sequence of every page. And I need to be praying more for this flock. You should pray that I'm faithful to pray. Fourthly, to watch over the flock. 1 Peter 5, feed the flock of God which is among you. He's talking to the elders. Feed the flock, taking the oversight thereof. Watch over the flock. Fifthly, to walk as an example of godliness before the flock. Again, pray for my own soul. Pray for your elders to be examples of godliness. Paul tells Titus in 2 verse 7, in all things show yourself a pattern of good works. As an under-shepherd, this is a, a duty of ours as well. Sixthly, we should be among the flock. People have said that the shepherds should smell like the sheep. There's also a duty that we have toward spiritual authority. Those are the, the duties of your spiritual authority. The first duty toward your spiritual authority is the same duty you have toward your civil authorities to pray for them and the success of their labors. It's your first response always to authority is to pray. I remember telling my children, if you don't like the way dad is parenting you, then you got to pray for me. Pray for me. It's interesting because that puts the responsibility and the onus back on them, the onus on them to pray. Hebrews 13, 18, Paul says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way, but pray for us. Secondly, you have a duty to esteem and love the authority, the spiritual authority that God has given you for their work's sake. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, I pray, brethren, that you know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Not for their sake, but for the sake of the duty they've been given, the high and holy calling which they will fail at. To esteem and love them dearly. Thirdly, to hear the word preached and conform to the doctrine taught. This may all sound familiar, it's flavor. Uh, to hear the word preached and conform to the doctrine taught by them as the word of God. Watson says the greatest honor you can put upon your spiritual fathers is to believe and obey their doctrine. The ministry is from God. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, For this cause we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it really is in truth the word of God. Hebrews 13.17, before he says pray for us, he says obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls and will give account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not with complaints. For this would be no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. So if I tell you, 
you need to sell me your car for $1,000. That's not what we're talking about. If I say you need to stop gossiping and pursue Jesus instead, that's what we're talking about. Obey your leaders when they tell you something that's biblical. You need to honor the Lord's day and keep it holy. It turns into a double sin. You're not obeying your leaders. You're not obeying God. You're not obeying commandments. Obey your leaders when they preach biblically to you, when they give you biblical instruction. And fourthly, Flavel says, that we're not to receive light and malicious reports against them. This is another way we honor and submit to authority. Watson would say, rather than receive a slanderous report against God's shepherds, which are frequent, we advocate for them. Rather than gossip and slander, we actually advocate for them. And the accusations are expected to come. Paul tells Timothy, you're going to have many accusations, but don't receive an accusation against an elder, except unless there's two or three witnesses. So grumbling about your spiritual leadership is grumbling about what God has given you. Grumbling against your civil leadership is grumbling against what God has given you. Grumbling brings you actually into Satan's category of strategy. You're playing for the other team when you grumble. You're grumbling against God. No prayer is what God requires of you in all areas of authority. So I'll conclude with this. Next week we'll talk about marriage, authority and submission, love in marriage. We're to love from the heart. We're to love from the heart. The Shorter Catechism number 35. Listen to what it says about sanctification. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live under righteousness. Well, that sounds good. I want that. Well, what is sin? Sin is any transgression of the law of God. What's the law of God? The Ten Commandments. You see, God uses the commandments to work sanctification in our lives because the results of our sanctification are holiness. We become more and more like God. Remember in Ezekiel 36, we read this morning, God puts His law in our hearts, causes us to be like Him. Where do we see God's heart? Where do we know what pleases God? In the Ten Commandments. That's why these are so precious to us as Christians. This is why we love to obey Him from the heart. May we honor our authority as we do so. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that You have given us Your law. We thank You that You have given us Your Word. We thank You that Your Son came and obeyed perfectly everything that's written there. He showed us the measure of perfect, perfect love and perfect submission. Lord, we thank You that in all things, You've called us to holiness as well. Lord, this is like shooting the moon with an arrow. It's impossible in our own effort and strength. And yet, we know with You all things are possible. What You command, You also enable by Your Spirit. We pray that You would enable us to live and obey You, to walk with You, to cherish You, and to cherish the authorities that You've given us. We do pray for evil and wicked authorities that are over us and over others in Your church. Lord, that You would save them. In Jesus' name, Amen.